This is Season 5 of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Listen, laugh, and learn. This week on the show, useless food information. Yummy. Taking the garden path. And we're excited about a new topic, games people play. Plus, we'll open up the mailbag and, of course, your favorite news from around the world. Totally useless information. It's everything you never needed to know. Welcome to episode number four. Your weekly sweet and savory facts of totally useless information with Nick and Roy. Come and get it! <laughs> That's one of our original jingles. I if you want like to call it. it that, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> our Nick gets called for food every night. Well, you know it. Uh, the pound cake. We all, we've all had pound cake, right? Mm, I love pound cake. And people think, well, the fact that it's called a, a pound cake is because it contained one pound each of butter and sugar, a pound of eggs, and a pound of flour. Hmm. It dates back to the 1700s. Sounds good, Sounds good to me. It does. <laughs> it's a recipe that goes back to the 1700s. It gets its name because of how it was originally made. The origins of pound cake lie in northern Europe. Initially, the pound cake weighed four pounds, if you think about it, four pounds of each of the ingredients. Right. Okay, so that rules out the possibility of actually being named after its weight. It's not really one pound of cake, it's four pounds. Anyway, the ingredients in the cake were measured up to one pound because they cut it down to a quarter pound of butter, a quarter pound of sugar, and so on. And therefore, that's how they got it to the pound cake. Oh, I like the old version better. <laughs> yes. better than a pound cake, a four-pound cake. That's right. <laughs> I just put you it on the table. It was called a four-pound cake. <laughs> that's right. She was a four-pounder. You know, Nick, did you ever want a pound cake when you eat the pound cake and then there's the bottom of it? Like that, yeah, that great, that sweet oh, bottom of it. Look if anybody's out. ever done that, go to nickandroy.com and send us an email. Send us You're a just, picture, actually. Send us a picture yeah. of only that. You're just yeah. as sick as we are. That's right. And <laughs> so thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you. And thank you. Thank you. Peaches and nectarines are essentially the same exact fruit. They have a gene difference that the peach grows fuzz. But a nectarine and the peach are the same exact fruit. The fruit inside is the same. It's just the skin, the fuzz on the skin, that's different between the peach and the nectarine. So it's one gene difference that makes it grow fuzz. And they're both in the almond family. Ah. Well, when you think about it, when you open up a peach or, or a nectarine and you look at the pit, it looks like an almond. Yes, it is. Yes, it is actually the almond. It's bitter the- as anything, though. I've tried oh. eating it. I'm not good. I okay. like the bottom of the pound cake, though. Yeah, it was delicious. <laughs> so here's my next fact on food. As you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. A draki put it the near of a peanut butter ticking to the poop at your mouth. Yeah. Okay. A rocky booty rophobia is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Peanut butter sticking to the roof the of your mouth. The fear of does. peanut butter. But it, it, it does, does happen. But if you're afraid of it, you're suffering from Iraqi booty rophobia. So then you just probably wouldn't eat peanut butter if you well, were that fearful. Right. But you wouldn't put it on a spoon and just, you know, eat. put it on a piece of bread with some uh, grape jelly. Ooh, that's even worse than the bread and the peanut butter gets stuck to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> and you have a double dose of Iraqi booty rophobia. Arachabootyophobia. That's right. 
Yeah, you, wow. you liked it because you heard you heard the word booty in there, right? Didn't you? Is that why you got yeah, all excited? Yeah, sure. I mean, if you want to get stuck to the roof of your mouth, it might as well be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> what a four-pound cake. <laughs> like a four-pound cake. That's right. <laughs> Until 1990, here's another delicious fact. Until 1990, think about that. Until 1990, McDonald's French fries were cooked in beef fat. Oh. Yes. It wasn't until 1990 that they decided, because the people were going on a health craze, that it would sound better if they said, we fry our French fries in vegetable oil. But before that, they used beef fat, probably from the renderings of the fat that were left out of the hamburgers. <laughs> wow. And I would imagine- let's face it, Nick. If you're going to go go somewhere, go all the way. Put those French fries in beef fat. <laughs> it's like any of these fast food places who say, you know, we have some healthy options. It's fast food. It's an oxymoron. when you And I you know. have to be a moron if you think they're eating healthy. I mean, impossible burger. It's impossible that I'd ever order it. How's that? Right. There you go. <laughs> of course, we love all of our fast food. If you'd like to advertise on Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy, go to nickandroy.com. Unless you're a vegan. That's right. <laughs> no. uh, the 57, if you notice, is on the label of the Heinz ketchup, it's number 57. And you're right. thinking, okay, what does this, the number 57 represent? Well, actually, no, I'm still thinking about the four-pound cake, but no. go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, if, if you look at the Heinz ketchup bottle, it has the number 57 on it. It represents the number of the types of pickles the company once had. Oh. Here's the other cool trick, okay? If you also look on the glass, there's a 57 that's kind of etched in there. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that. The yeah. easiest way for the best result to get ketchup out of your bottle is to turn your ketchup bottle on an angle and hit exactly at the point where the 57 is, and you'll get a beautiful stream of ketchup. Did you try this out? I did. Because according to a some beef fat French fries. I did, yes, I did. <laughs> beef fat French fries, and then I took some Heinz ketchup. A Heinz spokesman said the sweet spot to tap in the Heinz bottle is the 57 on the neck. Again, all you need to do is apply a firm tap where the bottle narrows, and the ketchup will come out easier. Yeah, that or just buy the plastic squeeze bottle, and it's all done. <laughs> oh, come or on. Or you could sit there and search for a glass one and use Nick's method. You could stick You'd a be knife. be dead by the time it gets out of the bottle. <laughs> Die of starvation. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. German chocolate cake. Yes. We all love a good chocolate cake like yeah. we do a pound cake. Yes. I love a four-pound chocolate cake as much as I do a four-pound <laughs> yeah. cake. German chocolate cake. Sehr good, right? It's German! <laughs> Where does it come from? What part of Germany does it come Lichtenstein, from? Liechtenstein, Germany! No, no, well, I, you know I love Germany. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not German. Not In not fact, not. German chocolate cake has nothing to do with Germany at all. It was invented by a guy named Sam German. Oh, it's German chocolate cake. Oh, wow. It's his chocolate cake. Get your pens, folks. Write it down. German chocolate cake invented by Sam German. By the way, Sam never really even writes down the recipe. He just makes this unbelievably chocolatey cake. Yeah. It wasn't published until some Texas homemaker wrote it down and published it. But she gave credit to Sam German and called it the German chocolate cake what a great way to win lots of bets like you say i bet you or you can ask someone where does german uh, chocolate cake come from and they'll go well germany of course uh, wrong you lose the bet 
Well, you could also ask them first to get you a piece of it. That's right. And I then like taste it. it. And you're like, do you like this German chocolate cake? Yes, I do. Do you know where it comes from? Well, of course I do. Where does it come from? Germany. Wrong. Sam German's kitchen. That's right. <laughs> According to Dairy Industries International, the global cheese sales in 2019 surpassed $114 billion. Okay. Wow. Global cheese sales surpassed $114 billion in 2019. That's a lot of cheese. It is. As it turns out, the cheese business is big enough that black market sales of it are quite lucrative. This really? may explain why a reported 4% of all cheese produced in any given year ends up stolen. Do you think the swear goods are sold by cows? <laughs> Maybe they are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, they, they won't steer you in the wrong direction. <laughs> Which makes hey, us... come over here. <laughs> <laughs> I got a good cheddar and a gouda in the back of the car. Take a look. <laughs> I got a whole wheel. That's right. A bunch of cows selling cheese out of the trunks of the cars. I got a whole go. wheel of provolone right That's here. Right. What che do you mean it stinks? <laughs> Cheese is the most commonly stolen food in the world. It, trump, it trumps fresh meat, chocolate, alcohol, seafood, and infant formula. It has made the most stolen item. Really? Yeah. So the most stolen item is cheese. That's right. So when we go into a supermarket, we'll probably see the cameras over the cheese section. That's right. Never mind over the cash register. Never mind the security cameras over. No, no. no. it's it's or the or the uh, really expensive uh, ketchup bottles or really expensive mustard. That's why when I steal, I steal Swiss cheese, so they can't see me doing it through the holes. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Otis Spunkmeyer's amazing chocolate chip cookies. Have you ever had them? No, but what a cool name though, Otis well, Spunkmeyer. You've never had an Otis Spunkmeyer cookie? No, I can't say that I have. Oh, my God, they're awesome. And they're sold at a lot of places where they actually bake them off right there and they're hot. Like oh. a lot of hotels have them and things like that. Yeah. Well, those amazing cookies, there is no Otis Spunkmeyer. Oh. There's no one named Otis Spunkmeyer. In fact, the name came about from a combination of a football player named Otis Sistrunk. S-I-S-T-R-U-N-K. Otis this drunk yeah and popcorn maker orville redenbacher the founder of the company otis spunkmeyer ken rawlings let his 12 year old daughter play around with names and she came up with the name otis spunkmeyer making fun of orville redenbacher and using otis from the football player's name i told you a lie i did have otis spunkmeyer cookies because according to one of the websites here, I went online. Yep. Otis Spunkmeyer has been the sole supplier of cookie dough to Subway restaurants. There you go. For many yes. years. There you go. So, so and I've had, had their cookies. Cookie, and they're good, too. So they supplied the dough, and then Subway bakes them here in the in the That's store. It. So, wow, pretty That's cool. It. So, yeah, so I yes, I have Ken had Otis Rowling's 12-year-old daughter came up with the name Otis Spunkmeyer. No, that was a kind of a nickname I had in high school, but we'll go there another day. The Spunkmeister. You're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy and speaking going down the garden path. Down the garden path with Nick and Roy. And know that it's uh, legal in uh, Canada just by listening to that. Yes, it is. <laughs> the old garden path. It is. Uh, some plants are being eaten by caterpillars. Milkweed? No, no. They oh. 
they send chemical signals to parasitic wasps who swarm and attack the caterpillars. By emitting the chemical distress signals, some corn, cotton, and tobacco plants can summon tiny parasitic wasps to rescue them from hungry caterpillars. So now let's get it straight. The plant is sending a signal to the microscopic wasps That's who are right. now killing the caterpillars. Because the caterpillars are eating the plants. And so they send out this like SOS. Yeah, they send out a thing. They're like, uh, we need you here. Uh, 33 degrees uh, lateral left longitude. 33rd. <laughs> Third leaf on the left. Two squadrons coming in. <laughs> <laughs> Two squadrons of parasitic wasps. Maybe Holy they're mackerel, maybe they're cool. either they're wasps or, or European. We're not quite sure. We're not. No. By releasing blends of ten to twelve different chemical compounds called volatiles, plants can quickly and accurately communicate their attacker's identity to friendly parasitic wasps. A finding that can improve their use in integrated pest management programs. So the, they send out a signal, right. and the wasps, they swarm. That's right. They swarm. Kind of like when I was in Kennebunkport. <laughs> Ring really. the dinner bell, and the wasps swarm. <laughs> I hope you have some wasps spray. Well, yeah, exactly. I, now I can't say wasps. <laughs> That's right. There is actually a tree invented in Australia called the fruit salad tree. Fruit salad. Okay. This is actually true. All right. It consists of six different types of fruits. The trees were taken over some time. They kept putting the different branches and melding the branches into the next tree, into the next tree, until they came up with what they call the fruit salad tree. Uh, some of them have orange, grapefruit, lemon, lime, tangerine, and mango all in one tree. How great is that? You grow it, you go out, you do no shopping in the supermarket. You just go outside and grab a couple of grapefruit for breakfast, a little or, orange juice. Or if you're in the mood for juicy fruit gum, it grows yeah, on trees. You yeah, take you a go. little lemon and lime, you make your own 7-Up, and for dessert, mango. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and ingredients you can put in your fruit pound cake. How crazy is that? That's it awesome. Is. I want one of those. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Yeah. Uh, there's a wild fig tree in South Africa with roots that go 400 feet deep. Whoa, goes the, for water. They know this because those roots extend into a cave system called the Echo Cave, where you can go and see the roots for yourself. So if you're going to South Africa, check out the Echo Cave. Whoa. For reference, 400, so that, feet, 400 down. feet down. And for reference, most trees only stick their roots down somewhere in the 18-inch range. Yeah, I can't measure that either. No, <laughs> exactly. There you go. So those, the, little, those little plants that they put yeah. in, those little burpee plants. Yeah, they, they do, yeah. That's you're, about right. <laughs> in that case, your roots are showing. Yeah, you know, yeah. a few inches down. You yeah. <laughs> if you're still listening, this is totally useless information with Nick and Roy. We really thank you for sticking in there with us. Go on. Here's a tip. If you want to grow tomatoes, use a box of baking soda. If you have, you, you ever put baking soda in your refrigerator to take the smell out of the fridge? Yeah, I love baking soda. Many yeah, uses. Yeah, my wife does that all the time. She mm -hmm. puts it in there. I think yeah. she wants me to eat it secretly, but or she's poisoning my food with it. Everyone help me. But anyway, so you take the box of baking soda out of your fridge because it doesn't have to be fresh baking soda, and you sprinkle a little bit around the, the base of a tomato plant 
and your tomatoes will come out sweeter and less acidic. So that's a helpful tip. If you're growing tomatoes right now, do it. And then don't forget to email us and tell us, wow, I have such a sweet tomato. <laughs> yeah, show us your tomatoes. But wait a minute. You asked me. a picture of your tomatoes, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> they used to be, be used to be called tomatoes in the 40s and 50s. The skirts exactly. tomatoes. Yeah. like to see your beefsteaks, baby. You go. Oh, wow. <laughs> So I thought you were going to talk. As long about, as they don't have cherry tomatoes, then don't then send them. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Look out. Send that one to Nick. Yeah. <laughs> at nickandroy.com. Attention, Nick and nickandroy.com. Any and also any local authority. Elephant grass native to Africa is also called elephant grass because at yeah they no the elephants don't smoke grass. Come on, elephant grass because at fifteen feet high. 4.5 meters it's tall enough to for elephants to hide behind and they uh -huh. do they like to eat it though and so they give themselves away what a bunch of dumb animals really well i mean that's cool though that they have something to hide behind because they're pretty big objects yeah you know? so the, this grass up there 15 yeah it's 15 feet high and then they eat their you know the grass and then they expose themselves so to speak hydrangeas Yes. You know what a hydrangea is, right? Yes. That big bully, bully flower. flower. Yeah, ball. It's real pretty. You know that the color changes due to soil conditions, not the seed. So right. you don't buy blue hydrangeas or pink hydrangeas or right. white hydrangeas. The alkalinity in the soil and the acidity in the soil decides the color. If the soil is very alkaline, you will have a white bloom if it's slightly alkaline you'll have a pink bloom and if it's various acidic you'll have a blue bloom light blue of course is less acidic so the more acidic the soil the more towards the blue scale the more alkaline the soil the more towards the white scale for a hydrangea i wonder what would happen if you place some baking soda on your hydrangeas i wonder what I would well happen. i hadn't seen this girl for a long time and i was like <laughs> hi stranger <laughs> That was horrible. Hydrangea. Uh, the, <laughs> it's the lone hydrangea. Yeah. The word pineapple comes from European explorers who thought the fruit combined the look of a pine cone with the flesh like that of an apple. Did you know that people would walk around the streets with pineapples? No. I didn't Did, know. Didn't we have that on one of our shows where we, people... They, 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 it was like a big status symbol, so they'd walk around with their pineapple. That's right. It was uh, almost like a form of currency, exactly. But there's the Europeans who came up with the name because if you look at it, think about it, it looks like this yeah, big you know, pine cone, and then you cut it open, it's like the flesh of an apple. I know it sure. sounds like food, but we're in the garden section, but you need to yeah. grow the pineapple before it becomes yeah, food. Yeah, we need Come to confuse on. the people, confuse them as much as we can. And it's working. <laughs> no need to compost anymore, folks. If you break an egg to make a, to make an egg in the morning, yeah, just crush the egg up and spread it around your garden. You don't need to put the eggshell in the ground. It takes a long time for it to compost. But if you crush it up nice, that calcium will get directly into the soil. You can also use your coffee grinds and add them back. They not only add to the soil, but they add a lot of different things to the soil uh -huh. and aerate it as well. You can also chop up banana peels. 
is very good. Just take a knife and chop the living hell out of the banana peel and throw it in the ground right next to your plants and stuff, mm -hmm. and it will help them grow. It will naturally compost because you had chopped it up slightly. That's it. No need to put it into a big pile for months and months and months. So on totally useless information with Nick and Roy, you gave us something useful. I haven't heard that song in a long time. That's right. <laughs> That's how useless you are. But we thank everyone for listening as you're listening to Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy. Our website is www.nickandroy.com. We are in season five. We thank you for joining us. And every single season, we come up with a brand new topic. Yippee. And this one came courtesy of, well, me, I have to admit. I was doing, I was walking along the lakeshore here. We're uh, playing games with the people. Oh, it's games people play. Step right up here. Step right up, folks. Don't be shy. Move it. Totally useless information with Nick and Roy present games people play. <laughs> Move it. Boy. Move it. Move it. Move it. <laughs> Move, Move it. it. Games people play. Roy, what do you got? Nintendo's main man, you know him as Mario. Mm -hmm. Well, Mario actually first appeared on July 9th, 1981 in the game Donkey Kong. And his name wasn't Mario. He was called Jumpman. Ah. And it wasn't until a few years later that he was recycled... <laughs> He's actually stolen from Donkey Kong, yeah, yeah. recycled into his own game called Mario, Mario Brothers. Yeah. And he received he received other brothers who were just the same exact figure with different colors. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but the, and he becomes the most iconic figure in video games, Mario, Super Mario, and Mario Brothers. But it wasn't even named that. He was actually called Jumpman. <laughs> now that's probably, I love that. That's pretty cool. In 1943, Richard James, an engineer for the American Navy Company, designed this particular product after attempting to create a spring that would be used in sensitive watercraft equipment. Clumsily, he accidentally knocked some samples off of a shelf, and he watched in amazement as they gracefully walked down the shelves instead of falling. The invention? Slinky. And during the Vietnam War, U.S. soldiers used slinkies as mobile radio antennas because they were made from metal at the time because they made an excellent antenna. Sure, you'd be able to throw it up into a tree or something and it, it would hang there. Exactly, and get radio reception. The slinky song, by the way, the jingle, is the longest-running jingle in advertising history. It's slinky, it's slinky, for fun it's a wonderful toy. They're slinkies, they're slinkies, they're fun for girls and boys. I always thought that was like one of those drug-induced toys, but you watch that thing go down the stairs, it's like, uh -huh. oh, man. Okay, Nolan Bush yeah. and Ted Dabney uh -huh. started a video game company. They said, let's call it Atari. Atari, okay. Yeah, and they both put $250 together, which made 500 invested into Atari. Within five years, the company earned $28 million, and by 1982, its sales had topped off to two billion dollars oh, wow. thank you nolan bush and ted dabney for making us feel like we can do it <laughs> that's right now did you ever have an atari game system i i did not i was never really into video games 
Did you? Yeah, we did. We did. And actually, my dad was a huge fan. Uh, so you play. It was like, Dad, it's for us. Yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure it works. Yeah, okay. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait. Let me check this out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rain Geyer was working for his dad's advertising company and came up with a promotional game concept for a shoe polish ad where players would use their feet. He enlisted the toy industry veterans, Neil Rabins and Charles Foley, to refine the concept that he'd come up with. The game Pretzel was born. You're thinking, Pretzel? Never heard of that. It was the game where the players were the game pieces. Unfortunately, Pretzel was also the name of a toy dog currently on the market. So to avoid customer confusion, they later changed the name of this game to Twister. Oh, my God. Spin the spin around. Yeah, that's right. Spin the ties you up in a knot. And it was <laughs> and it was it flew off the shelves after Johnny Carson on The Tonight Show. I believe in 1966 played the game with Eva Gabor. Oh, boy. Yeah. Talk about a twist. <laughs> <laughs> twist and shout. Did you know that originally board games were religious and moral? Oh. They had religious and moral content. They were invented for families to play on Sunday. Most of the week, people were working. They didn't do anything. There were no televisions. There were no radios. There were nothing. So if you came home, you maybe read a newspaper. But on Sunday... There was no need. You needed to do stuff with the family. So they invented board games, but the original ones were religious. So, for instance, one of the first games was called The Mansion of Life, and another one was called The Checkered Game of Life. And they had moral rewards when you did something good and punishable for bad behavior. So there, there was like if you were doing something immoral, you got punished in the game. And if you did something moral, you got to go, I guess, on to the next spot. <laughs> wow. Okay. And that's why, you know, uh, family game night's really popular, right? Because you there get you together and, and you talk about stuff. Ouch, that didn't hurt is what I call this one. So Rain Geyer from the, you know, the Twister guy you just talked about, yeah. he was working sure. on a new toy development concept where he and his partners began to throw around foam rocks. They were part of another Players as Pieces game that he had, some kind of caveman concept. Sensing that he'd just come up with a kind of indoor ball, Geyer's team sold it to Parker Brothers. It mm. became Nerf. Oh, wow. They were just throwing, cool. throwing around the these guy who invents rocks. Twister invents Nerf. That's right. Yeah. Now, some people argued, and I couldn't find confirmation on this, they think Nerf is an acronym for Non-Expanding Recreational Foam. N-E-R-F, Nerf. Probably. That Maybe. makes sense. The earliest games, you know what they were? Um, I'm going to guess checkers. Chess and checkers. Ah, there you Chess go. Congratulations. And, and then came cards. Okay. While wealthy folks could afford beautiful chess sets, most of the chess sets were made by the people that owned them, by the people that owned them. They made the chess figures out of little pieces of wood and so on because they couldn't afford to buy a chess set. Playing cards were invented by the Chinese in the ninth century. If you can even imagine the ninth century, they were brought to Europe. And then later on, of course, they were, they were brought to the United States uh, when, when the Europeans came here, but they were brought to Europe through trade routes in the earliest days of trading. That's how old playing cards are. Wow. And one of the more popular games, right? Really simple and inexpensive. Sure. Great. Sure. And mm -hmm. amazingly, they were made in China. Go figure. Have you ever played billiard? You played pool, right? Billiard? 
I play pocket pool. That's different. (laughs) (laughs) So the question I have to ask you and the audience, what is the cloth on the billiard table made of? My jeans. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's where the balls are rolling around. That's right. They certainly are. (laughs) (laughs) Well, after you hear this. You ever notice that? You got like two balls and a stick. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Rack them up. Amazingly, the main component of billiard cloth has remained unchanged for over 400 years. It was wool. It was wool. I was going to say felt. Felt. Well, wool was used in the 1500s and remains the fabric of choice today. It has, of course, you know, undergone some perfections because there are some wool nylon blends that are also produced. But wool or felt, it's the main fabric um, of billiard tables. I had a pool table. Did if you? you if you remember out in Long Island, I had a pool table. Nice. You you were at that. House, I don't right? think I was. No, I think no, you were. I wasn't no, I wasn't there a long time. I had ago. a pool yeah. table there. It was cool. Yeah, we're friends for forty years. I don't remember everything. In <laughs> fact, I don't even remember meeting you. I think you saw. You were there. You came with the friend that had the restaurant. Oh, that's right, Peter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry, my apologies. See, yeah, I got it. All right. Memory. Yeah, <laughs> I have a great memory, Jim. What were you saying? Uh, where are we you're listening to totally useless information with nick and roy if you would like to send us an email and many of you have so thank you very much we truly do appreciate it you go to our website nickandroy.com what's in the mailbag what's in the mail i tell you i want to thank everybody we are getting so much mail and it's so cool it's great please send us your mail and ask us questions. A lot of people, we get all this mail. We love the show. And we get occasional people that say, you know, uh, when if I find you, I'll beat you. <laughs> yeah, something like that, sure. <laughs> yeah. We're not as scared. We're not as scared. Not a scared no, but either. anyway, no, no. But most of the, you guys are fantastic. And thank you. But a lot of you ask questions. And this is Harry from Salisbury, Maine. The funniest part is I was in Salisbury, Maine. Nice. I, I love great. their steaks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Salisbury steaks. Yeah. <laughs> the lobsters bring them. But anyway, here is Harry asked this question. Maybe you guys can give me an answer on this. My garden is always raided by deer. Oh, dear. Okay. And I put a fence around, but they still get in. Then he writes, love your show. i guess he figured maybe we weren't going to answer it so he'd throw in a love your show so give him a chance (laughs) yes dear and anyway so i said you know what let me help harry out here so i went in and started looking up about deer and how they eat and so on and what they can do to gardens well harry if the fence is under eight feet you're you know what out of luck because deer are known to jump, can jump an eight-foot fence. Most of the time, they don't like jumping over six feet, but they will jump an eight-foot fence, and most of the time, people put four- and five-foot fences around their garden, which are easy enough for the deer to jump over. That is why he's eating your stuff. What I suggest is some razor wire, Maybe a 12-foot electric fence. <laughs> oh, dear. Something to keep the wife out as well. <laughs> wow. Yeah, not that, not, not that kind of deer. Oh, dear. Yeah, there you go. Well, but so there you go. 
Harry, anything under really eight feet, but I guess six feet is the, is the rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you should you should have at least a six foot high fence around your garden to try and keep the deer out. There you go. So just like they have horse jumping uh, competitions, they should, they should have like deer jumping competitions. Have to jump well, over mean, eight foot. Uh, hungry. Like, they want to. They see like, you know, they see Harry's prized tomato there. Yeah, because he's breaking you know why. His wife. <laughs> no, it's not his wife. He realized that he took your the deer took your tip and they put uh, baking soda on the uh, tomatoes. That's why they taste so sweet. Little did Harry know, I jumped in there, stole all his vegetables, and put a couple of deer prints around. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. So if you'd like to send us an email and get insulted, go to www.nickandroy.com. And now for something completely useless. We've all gone to uh, the eye doctor and uh, they've got the traditional eye chart that you read from. Remember that? I see. I okay. see. There you see that. Okay. <laughs> it was invented in the middle of the 19th century. Herman Schnellen a Dutch ophthalmologist came up with a way to test vision. He decided to use letters of the alphabet to gauge your ability to see and from how far. He devised a vision ratio which is commonly used today. 2020, as we know, is perfect vision. If one of his patients could read a specific line from 20 feet away, they had 20-20 vision. Ah, meaning two eyes, 20 in each. 2020, that's correct. The Snellen chart became so popular, it was used to test soldiers' vision in the British Army. And Dr. Snellen created a rotating E-chart to gauge the vision of children and the illiterate. Because if you couldn't read, you couldn't read the letters. So you had a rotating E-chart to gauge the vision the same way. Is that why they gave you glasses? (laughs) (laughs) What? Like, can you read the chart? And you were like, sorry, what? So you're listening to totally useless, useless information. You're like three feet away. <laughs> they actually yeah. had the paper on your face. <laughs> I can't see. Uh, on the show today, we talked about food. We talked about taking the guard path. We introduced a brand new topic. Can you which see is, it now? Can you see it now? They oh, come on. It's time for the news. Oh, no. From around the corner and around the world, this is TUI News. It's very impressive. It is, yeah. So that's a great job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are uh, from the stupid criminal files in Japan. A oh. Japanese cross-dresser thought he could avoid detection by donning a school uniform while, while during his criminal acts. He was wearing a navy blue miniskirt, a white blouse, and, sh- and a shoulder-length brown wig. He was spotted bag snatching from a number of women. Unfortunately, it's one. Yes, Nick. Yes. I gotta interrupt you. A second. Yes. So the guy dresses like a sexy schoolgirl. That's correct. In order to be not noticed. Right. And to, to snatch some bags. Yeah. We're talking about Japan here. But check okay. this out. But unfortunately... Guys, have you ever seen some of their videos? But let's go on. Okay. Well, unfortunately, this 24-year-old is cross-dresser. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Japanese schoolgirls don't sport a 5 o'clock shadow. Oh, my <laughs> God. He couldn't even shave. That's right. I hope the legs were shaving, at least. Maybe. The thief was arrested at a train station. 
<laughs> he was arrested. He was arrested at a cigar bar. That's right. <laughs> Smoking a cohiba while he was he's arrested there. in a pharmacy buying razors. <laughs> Our next stupid criminal uh, file, as you're listening, to totally useless information with Nick and Roy from news from around the world. Albert Jackson Dowdy, 22, took incompetence to a whole new level. According to police in Grants Pass, Oregon, he tried to break into a home by smashing a glass door with a paint can. Mm. But the can broke open. And the paint <laughs> splattered all over his clothes and shoes while oh, he traipsed no. through the house, leaving stains everywhere. Right. He made off with two cans of tuna fish and a box of oatmeal. Yeah, but he also got a half a can of paint home with him. <laughs> <laughs> he just rolled around in his bedroom and he painted the whole room. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a new form of body art. Before long, police tracked Dowdy down at a nearby motel where he appeared at the door still wearing the paint-smeared clothes. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. And so they dubbed him Dutch Name Boy. Picasso. <laughs> <laughs> what a great punchline. Oh, let me brush my hair. <laughs> he pulls out a paintbrush. That's right. He's brushing his hair. There you go. Yeah. And they dubbed him Dutch Boy. <laughs> the Dutch Boy murderer. <laughs> but he stole a can of tuna and a box of oatmeal. Like, not Aww. even jewelry or anything. Did my they goodness. arrest this guy? They did. They did, and they probably... Uh, now he's got, he's getting three square meals a day. I was going to say he's better off where he is. That's right. And exactly. cleaned him up, getting some fresh clothes. Talk about painting. And now he's painting the prison. <laughs> that's right. He's painting the prisons now. Talking about painting himself into a corner. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when he gets out, they'll rehabilitate him. He'll open his own paint company. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> The Dowdy Paint Company. Well, that's all yeah. the time we have. Boy, I, I doubt he, he'll make any. I doubt he will. <laughs> Me too. That's all the time we have for yet another episode of Totally Useless Information with Nick and Ray. Thank you so very much for joining us. We promise to scour the internet to find more useless information for you for next time. So until we see you again, tell a friend about the trend. I'm Nick. And I'm Roy. Thanks for listening. Totally Useless Information with Nick and Roy is a production of NickAndRoy.com. Visit NickAndRoy.com to access the full library of episodes or wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.